Well, good morning. How is everybody today? Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Um, man, I'm just shaken up by that worship. That was powerful. Amen. Can we just like, just clap our hands or something? I just, I just want to praise the Lord for being here in this room. I get up here and I have like this really compelling, interesting transition and then God just wrecks me and I don't know what to say now. So uh, anyway, hey, thank you for being here. We usually go uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the books of the Bible. We were in Hebrews and we were taking a break from that for the next six weeks. We'll be in Philippians next. Um, But for these six weeks, this is what we're doing. We're taking teachings of Jesus from the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are counter-cultural, that are different from kind of what our culture understands And we're examining those and we're looking at those and looking and seeing how they weigh up against how we're living our lives. So week one, we talked about how Jesus said, follow me. And our culture says, follow your heart or follow your dreams. Last week, we talked about American consumerism on the 4th of July. So timing is always a strong suit here. Um, And this week, we are talking about service and being a servant in the midst of a self-serving culture. And so I hope that you are ready. You should have gotten a note sheet when you came in. We'll be in the gospel of John, John chapter 13 um, today. I I actually, I got back late Friday night from Uganda and East Africa. Um, Spent a a week there training and teaching pastors in the Ugandan church. And um, for those of you that give to this church, you're the ones that, that made that conference happen. So if you give to this church, you just impacted 400 Ugandan churches. So that's awesome. That's incredible. Thank you for doing that. And if you prayed for me on this trip, thank you so much because I was able to, to um, man, I can tell when people are praying for me. So, so thank you for doing that. Prayer's not like a superstition. You know that, right? Like we don't just say that, you know, hey, praying for you. And that's like a cop out of not really caring. Like when you really pray for someone, it changes the environment that they're in. You know that, right? And I can attest to that because you prayed for me and I could tell. Um, I actually... It's funny, I, I, uh, I, I wasn't quite ready to come up because I'm used to, the guy that translated for me, he would always give me these crazy long introductions before I came up and I'd try to get up. He'd say, no, 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 sit down. So he would always say, uh, people, I want to introduce you to a man who is a pastor. He is a husband. He is a father. And he is married to a woman. Because in Uganda, it's kind of ridiculous to think that in America, a man can marry a man. So he would always make it sound like I kind of didn't want to be married to a woman, but I was just kind of, you know, submitting to the Lord anyway. But um, anyway, I do want to be married to a woman, and I am married to a woman. Anyway, so week, (laughs) week one, we talked about this. We are called to follow his heart and his dreams, not our dreams, not our heart. He said, follow me. And so we're to follow him, not what culture has imposed on us. And then last week, we talked about this idea that we're to store up our treasures in eternal things, not the things of this earth, not temporal things. We looked at kind of how uh, our society has gotten a little bit out of hand with this idea of consumerism. And, And what we're hanging our hat on for this whole series is that we live in a culture that's like 68 to 70% Christian. At least that's what we say about ourselves. But then we look at what Jesus said about the lives that we're supposed to live and how Jesus said, follow me. And what we're left to conclude from scripture and the words of Jesus himself is that if we follow the example of Christ, that is the truest way to be Christian. Following his example, not just wearing a title, not just being in church, not just listening to Way FM or eating at Chick-fil-A, but actually following him and doing what he asked us to do and obeying his commandments. And so with that in mind, here's what we're going to talk about today. That Christ modeled a lifestyle of sacrificial service. 
And he calls us, if we're going to follow him, to follow his lead. Um, I just want to say this and, and take this off the table for those of you who are thinking, um, this is not like a ploy to manipulate you to serve in children's church. Okay, nod your head if you, you, you understand that, okay? Like we weren't sitting in a staff meeting and Patrick wasn't like, oh man, I don't have enough people willing to change poopy diapers for Jesus. And we weren't like, well, let's teach a sermon series on it. That's not how we came to this conclusion. We're talking about this because Jesus talked about it, okay? So I'm just gonna read what Jesus said. We're gonna talk about our culture. We're gonna talk about what that means. And whatever God calls you to do and however he calls you to serve, that's between you and God. Okay, so don't throw me under the bus and, and, and I'm not gonna manipulate us today. I just want us to really gaze into the character and nature of Christ instead of at ourselves because when we look at him and all that he is, that changes us from the inside out. So my goal today is not to manipulate you. My goal today is not to make you feel guilty and, and shameful. My goal today is rather to cast a picture of Christ so that when we see him, we fall on our knees and say, God, here's everything. That's what I want today. And I don't know if you're paying attention to what's going on in the news. Actually, I had a layover in Dallas. I didn't know anything that was going on until I touched down and the flag was at half-mast. And, and, and as soon as I got in the airport, saw everything on the news. Like, um, man, we need him so bad right now. We need him so bad right now. Like this, I hope that we're not just playing games when we gather together on Sunday morning. I hope that we really understand the level of spiritual poverty in this nation. Because like it's evident all around us. Amen. And so this morning as we get started, like, like I really want to invite you to examine your heart and to examine yourself and, and ask yourself, like, what part have I played in all this? And let's let him change us from the inside out. Because if the church starts, stops playing games and starts being serious about following Jesus, that'll change the world. Amen. So, so let's pray together um, before we get started that God does that. Bow your heads with me. God of heaven, right now in this room, we acknowledge that we have not been in this country the people that we've needed to be. We've been selfish. We've been self-centered. We've had hate in our heart. And right now, God, we confess our sins to you that we've sinned against you in thought and word and in deed. We've sinned against you by the hidden motives of our heart. And God, we ask for your forgiveness now on behalf of our nation. Lord, we ask right now in the mighty name of Jesus, you have mercy on us as a country. Lord, instead of us just saying, God bless America, Lord, let America bless God. Let our lives, let our service to one another, let our love for one another bless your name. And Lord, we ask that you would be with all that's going on in the cities across America, all the hatred and all the racism and all the, the anger. Lord, we just ask for peace. We pray for peace. God, let us be people that know you and that carry your peace with us. Lord, today as we dive into your word, as we hear what Jesus calls us to do and calls us to be, Lord, transform us from the inside out. God, whatever you want to say to me this morning, I just want to say yes to you before you speak it. Whatever you want to say to me, whatever you want to say to anyone in this room, Lord, let our hearts just be obedient before you even show us what it is. God, keep your hand on me as I teach this morning. Lord, let me have clarity of thought and clarity of word. And, and uh, we just love you and we thank you for this time together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 7. Here we go. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. So John sets the scene for us by giving just a little bit of background as to what's going on. He says that that this was the Passover feast. Now, according to Mark and Luke's gospel, Jesus and his disciples would have celebrated this feast on a Thursday evening beginning at sundown. And Jesus and the disciples had gathered together because they were Jews and they were celebrating a Jewish feast. And this feast celebrated God's redemption of the Jews from the hands of the Egyptian. And we see that Jesus begins to expound a little bit more on what that redemption actually entails when he talks about the cup being representative of his blood that would be poured out for them and the bread being representative of his sacrifice that would be poured out for him. And I love what it says here. John, John is such a poetic writer. He's so much different than the other gospel writers. He, he gets his own commentary in there. He said, Jesus knew that his time had come. So for three years, Jesus had been teaching these guys and instructing them on the ways of the kingdom of God. They'd been following him. They'd probably been camping out with them. They'd been watching him heal the sick, raise the dead, perform miracles. They'd heard him teach on prayer. They'd heard him teach on what life in the kingdom of God looked like. And they'd seen him give hints to and declare the reality of his identity as God. In fact, we see that Simon had kind of been the one that that got the memo before some of the other guys did when Jesus said, hey, who do you say I am? And Peter's like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And so there were hints of his identity and some of the disciples believed in his identity, but it wasn't quite confirmed yet through the resurrection. And so these guys were still kind of watching him to see what he would do next to confirm whether he was the Messiah or whether he wasn't. And there was one final act that Christ wanted to leave his disciples with as an example for how they were to live and how they were to treat each other. And it says in the, in the Gospel of John that this was how he showed them the full extent of his love. See, that phrase can also be applied to the unfolding narrative of his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. But all of that was kicked off by what happens next. As he gets up from the table, he takes off his outer garment, he gets down on his hands and knees, and he starts washing these guys' feet. Now, here's, here's what I just want to paint the picture for you this morning. Imagine that this guy who claims to be God, he's a teacher of the law, he's a miracle worker, everybody around him is following him, he gets down on his hands and knees in front of you right here this morning, and he starts washing your feet. Like, for a lot of us, it's easier to see Jesus dying on a cross for all of humanity, this transcendent universal sacrifice for but, but like, it's exceptionally personal. And, and much dirtier than your feet, or these disciples' feet, is our own hearts. The spiritual filth that we carry in us apart from the cleansing power of Christ's blood is much more filthy and much more dirty to God than any feet could ever be. And so when Jesus washes us with his blood, in a sense, it is like him getting on his knees before you and saying, let me wash you. 
Let me take care of it. There's a part we're not going to read where Peter says, God, you're not going to wash me. Peter says to Jesus, I'm, I'm not doing that. This is, this is, uh-uh. And Peter says, and Jesus says to Peter, if, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Um, this is a side note, and I just want to say this because I felt compelled to say this. Um, Christianity is not external behavioral modification. Christianity is not you follow these rules and somehow Jesus is like happy with you and claps for you. Christianity is Jesus getting on his knees before you and saying, I want to wash you from the inside out. I want to save you through my blood and I want to give you a new heart and new desires and I want to change everything about you. And if you've not experienced that, if you've not known that, then you following a set of rules is only going to make you more prideful and self-serving and religious and not going to do anything to save your soul. And you can't look like Jesus if you've not truly been born of his spirit. And so before we go on, I ask you this morning, have you ever truly been born of his spirit? Born again, as Jesus said. Because if you haven't, then no following a set of rules is going to change anything about your life. You know that. You're not even going to be able to follow the rules you give for yourself. He has to come in and do an inward work in you and change you from the inside out and give you new desires to follow his law and to follow his commands out of love, not fear. I love what John says. He said, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and he was returning to God. And it's interesting to note that before Jesus does anything, John includes this commentary on his identity. That Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the creator and sustainer of all life, is about to reveal something incredible about his character, not through what he says, but rather through what he does. And the deeper principle behind that is our actions will flow out of our identity. In other words, you are not what you say, you are what you do. What we are is revealed by what we do. Jesus said you can judge a tree by its fruit. We can say all day long, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But if our actions don't reveal that we've actually been transformed by the Spirit of Christ, then what we say doesn't matter. It's what we do that matters. So Jesus shows this. Jesus models this. It says he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, when he did that, this is adopting a stance. This is adopting a posture of a menial slave. This was a position that was actually looked down upon. This was like lower tier humanity, right? This, this was not something that Jews and Gentiles um, alike actually had respect for when Jesus did this. See, other rabbis at the time in the first century had, had talked about humility being a good thing. Like, you got to be humble if you're going to be a teacher of the law. But they had included some caveats and limitations as to the extent of that humility. One rabbi writer in the first century had said, you can do anything for the people around you so long as you don't relinquish your position. As long as you don't, like, humiliate yourself in a public setting. And so Jesus, like, was kind of going against the, the cultural understandings of leadership. Jesus didn't know these boundaries. His act of assuming this position of a slave defied the cultural understandings of leadership, where leaders in that day and age were always fighting to get ahead and fighting to be on top and jockeying for position and posturing themselves for position. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be the least of these. If you want to be a leader, you've got to be a servant. So Jesus didn't just say it, he showed it with his life. Now it says a towel around his waist, most likely that would have been a long towel fastened to his shoulder so to be able to gird himself but then still use the end to dry the disciples' feet. And we understand that, that washing feet was so important and actually needed in this culture because in 
first century Palestine, people would have walked long distances in sandals. And the roads were dusty and dirty. And if you went to somebody's house, hospitality required that they have water there and you could wash your feet. But rather than just washing your, your feet in a basin, it was actually poured over your feet and then the, the dirty water would go into another basin. And so this is what Jesus does. So, so get this in your head. Jesus is, is down on his knees. He's washing these guys' feet. He's drying these guys' feet. What's interesting to note and why this is so significant is that acts of service were actually common duties for disciples to perform for their teachers. So if you had a, a Jewish rabbi or a teacher of the law and he had a bunch of guys following him, it would be pretty common for these guys to be the one that waited on their rabbi hand and foot. But there, there was kind of an exception to this though. Um, foot washing was considered too demeaning for most Jews. And so foot washing was usually assigned to a non-Jewish slave. So Jesus adopting this stance would have been unthinkable to these guys for two reasons. Number one, washing feet was demeaning, humiliating for a slave or for anyone besides a slave. And then number two, it's a, it's a master doing this for his students. And so this was shocking. This would have cried out for an explanation. And, and, and usually the guy that always kind of says what everybody is thinking in the Gospels is Peter. I love Peter. Peter needs to shut up sometimes, right? <laughs> says good things sometimes, and other things you're like, all right, Peter, that's enough. So he says to Jesus, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Moi? Feet? Really? And, and Peter's the guy that demands it from Jesus because uh, he was really just saying probably what everybody was thinking. It was unthinkable to these guys for anyone in the group to wash feet. Much less Jesus, the teacher, the leader, the master, but not only that, the guy that claimed to be God, the creator, the sovereign king of the entire universe. And Jesus defied these cultural norms in order to set an example by serving these men to meet what was a very real need. And he tells them when they act shocked, he said, you don't realize what I'm doing. But later, you're going to understand. See, they didn't realize two things. Number one, they didn't realize the full extent of his love. They didn't realize how gracious he was. They didn't realize how personal he was. They didn't realize how serving he was to them. And when he'd go to the cross and he would cleanse them from their sin, that was much better than just washing their feet. And then secondly, they didn't realize the significance because they didn't see the full magnitude of his glory. And the full magnitude of his glory will be seen by all of creation in the kingdom of God. What we think we know about his glory now is only a shadow of the things to come. And when he appears to all of creation, it said every eye will see him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And what we see is that the significance of Christ taking on the form of a slave to wash feet wasn't fully understood by the disciples. And, and I'll just make a side note. I don't think a lot of us in this room fully understand that. Maybe we've seen this in VBS growing up with a little flannel graph Jesus in the basin and the, you know, he's got the towel around him and hey, Jesus is taking a shower somewhere, right? That's why he's got a towel around him. We, we don't grasp why this is such a big deal, but Jesus says, like, when you get it, when you see my glory, when you see my character, then you'll understand why this is a big deal. And these guys didn't see it, most likely because they weren't fully aware of the extent of his glory. See, the act of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, yes, this was an example to them of how to treat each other, but it was more than that. It was a symbol for something so glorious, for something so mysterious, and that's called the incarnation. 
And the incarnation is the fact that the God of the entire universe would become a man and walk amongst us to suffer and die in our place. So when Jesus rises from the meal and he takes off the robe and he gets down on his feet, this was just a picture of how Jesus, the God of all of the universe, that angels circled his throne night and day, crying out, holy, 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 is the Lord God the Almighty, and angels all around him and elders all around him casting down their thrones. Jesus gave that up, took off that robe, stepped down into our humanity and got on his knees and began to serve us. And him doing that at this dinner was just a symbol for his entire ministry. And it was more than just a symbol. It was an example of a mindset that we're to adopt, of an attitude that we're to adopt, of a demeanor that you and I are called to share with Christ. We are to be people that serve just as he served us. So in setting us an example, this is what Christ did. He willingly gave up his rights. Like, he's the sovereign king of the entire universe. He's, he's the creator. He is worthy of every praise that anyone in this room could ever sing to him. There is no exaggerating the glory of God. Like, there's not a worship song anybody could write where you're like, all right, that's a little excessive. You're exaggerating a little much. He's not that great. No, he is that great. He is worthy of all of our praise and much more than we ever give him. But Jesus willingly gave that up. And said, I'm going to go and be a Jew in first century Palestine under Roman occupation. That he embraced obscurity. He was born in a barn. He was a carpenter. That he was, he was for the most part homeless for three years. That he embraced a lifestyle that wasn't glamorous, a lifestyle that, that probably for a lot of us in this room would seem like one that is unappealing, that you probably wouldn't want to live. And ultimately, he made his life and he made his ministry about the Father's glory. Many times in the Gospels, he said, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of the one who sent me, the Father. Not only the Father's glory, but he made his life about the needs of humanity. He said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. I came for the people who were broken. I came for the people who were destitute. I came for the people that can never pay me back. And that's why... I'm here, and that's what my life is about. And so we're called to follow this. Well, here's, here's the question. If we live in a culture that's 70%, or at least we claim to be 70% Christian, and this is the example that Jesus gave us of serving people, of willingly giving up our rights, of embracing obscurity, do we do that? Do we live in a culture that celebrates and promotes Serving other people. Now, I'm, I'm going to just like talk openly. We're going to have real talk. Can we have real talk today? Right? Okay, it's 9 a.m., so um, some of you are still not awake yet anyway, and then we're not recording this yet, so we'll record it at the 11, so we'll be a little bit more buttoned up and proper, but um, I, I just want to talk openly about our culture because you know this and I know this, and we're just going to say what everybody's thinking. Can we do that? Okay, so if I say something that offends you and you step on your toes, know that I don't really... I'm not trying to, I just want to talk openly about our culture. So we, we talk about being Christian when Jesus says we're to serve other people. Well, let's look at kind of what we're doing in a culture. Well, in 2013, the word of the year was selfie. Like that, that is, um, there's nothing like demonic about taking a picture of yourself with your iPhone. Like it's not going to burst into flames and you hear Satan laughing, you know. <laughs> but that's like the cough that is symptomatic of, of, of like the cultural AIDS. 
Can we just, can we talk about that? Like the fact that we are a selfie culture and that is more than just taking pictures of ourselves, that is creating entire universes around us with the center of our own universe. That, that our needs, that our wants, that our image that we promote and that we try to get other people to follow, that that for many of us is the most important thing on our radar. And when we go into a party, we're going to a social situation, we're not looking to like meet the needs of other people and serve the need. We're just looking to be the coolest guy in the room or the smartest guy in the room or the funniest guy in the room or have the best looking kids in the room or the, the richest husband in the room. Stepping on a little bit of toes right now, but that's okay because this is where we're at. We see that there's this new phenomena culturally called personal branding. And this is where people package themselves online like a product to be sold. Where people self-promote so much online that we don't even notice it. That like a while ago, you know, if you had a website, you're actually selling something, you were talking about something that mattered, and now people, they're, they're trying to make a career out of being famous for doing nothing. And they're posting pictures of what they had at Taco Bell for lunch and getting offended because they don't have more than a thousand likes. Hello? So we pick on the younger generation with social media and we see news stories like the young man in England that was addicted to finding the perfect selfie so he had over 20 plastic surgeries and spent eight hours a day trying to take the perfect selfie so he could get enough likes to somehow feed what was going on in the inside. And we look at the younger generation and say, well, I don't got Facebook, that's that young kids. Well, well let's just talk about the older generation for a second. Um, used to, retirement was like the most loving thing you could ever do for your kids. That retirement was you putting aside a little bit of money each month so that when you got older, they wouldn't have to support you because you would have some set aside and when you died, you could give them an inheritance. That was considered a, a not um, selfish thing. That was a really giving thing. Well, well, now our understanding of retirement is completely shifted. Instead of it being a loving thing that we're like sacrificing every month for that, instead now ads for financial services say that retirement is not for other people, it's simply to enable you to return to childhood and pursue your dreams. You can go to Florida and play golf all day and eat at seafood buffets because you earned it and you deserve it and you can make your life all about you. And this is our understanding of somehow what it means to be American. Of course I'm gonna retire and go to Florida and play golf until I die and not give anything to anyone else. And not only that, like, Used to, the cultural mantra was you do anything that feels good as long as someone doesn't get hurt. That's not true anymore. The cultural mantra is you do anything you want, and if it hurts someone else, they can get over it because you do you. And so what we're seeing is an unprecedented decline in this word called empathy, where if it does not happen to me, I don't think it's real. And I'm okay with making you hurt and suffer as long as it promotes me. Let me just give you an example. High school students regularly will physically assault classmates and then seek attention for violence by posting those YouTube videos of the beatings. People give them likes and comments and some of us still watch the videos and shake our head and say well, Here's another word, slacktivism. Have you heard of this? Or we take somebody's cause or some unfortunate thing that happened to somebody and we repost about it on social media and it's really not doing anything and we act like it's helping them but it's not helping them, it's just making us appear empathetic. And so it's self-serving and it's hypocritical and it's selfish. But everyone around us is doing it too and so we don't really think about it. The Irish band U2 released a song in 1983 
And they said, it's true we are immune when fact is fiction and TV is reality. And that's where we're at. Or if it doesn't happen to me directly, it's probably not real and I'm not really gonna care. And so our entertainment obsession and addiction kind of dictates our lives. And what we see is that the average American family spends almost 2,500 a year on entertainment, but the average global annual salary, this is annual, not monthly, is under that, but almost $1,000. People all around the world are suffering and they, they don't have the next meal, but we're complaining because we don't have enough channels on our cable package. And if it's not happening to me, if it's not in my backyard, if it's not my kids, I don't really care. And so essentially what we've done is we've created a culture that, that the word that we're seeing that expresses our culture is this word narcissism. This is a sociologist, these are non-Christian sociologists and, and, and um, social scientists. This is what they've said about the US and where we're at. The United States is currently suffering from an epidemic of narcissism. An epidemic is an affliction affecting a disproportionately large number of individuals within a population. And narcissism more than fits the bill. In data from 37,000 college students, narcissistic personality traits rose just as fast as obesity from the 1980s to the present, with the shift especially pronounced for women. Sorry, ladies. This is what we've done. We're cultured that it's about me. It's about what I want. It's about my personalized life that if you interfere with that, then there's going to be hell to pay. What's crazy is we say we're 70% Christian. Well, let, let's talk about the church. What, what about actively participating Christians in the community of faith in the American church? If this is our culture, there's lower rates of empathy. There's increased rates of narcissism. Self-branding, self-marketing is on the rise. What about the church? Like, it's, it's no secret to any of us in this room, if you've been in church for more than five minutes, and I'm talking about, not talking about this church in particular, I'm just talking about the church in America. Church for hundreds and thousands of years was historically understood to be a place where people gathered to worship and, and, and ponder the greatness of God and then pull our resources and serve the community. But if you've been in the American church for any longer than five minutes, you've figured out that that's not really what we're about. We're about us. And here's how we know that, that most people don't really complain if a church isn't teaching the gospel or not serving the needs of the community or getting serious about discipleship. Most of the splits and most of the demands in the American church call for, for wars about worship styles. Music was too loud. Songs were too new. Songs were too old. I didn't like the worship leader. I didn't sing it well. I don't like the people dancing too much or moving too much. There is inordinate demands for pastoral care. I'm not gonna to touch that one. Okay, next one, A attitudes of entitlement. And most of the time, what people focus more on in the American church is concerns about programs, agendas, and facilities over evangelism and serving the needy. This is what we think church is about. And then we wonder why churches can't get along. Well, I'll tell you why churches can't get along. Because we're taking these things and we're peddling them like products and goods to be sold. And if another church has a better kids ministry than us, then we're going to try to like make it check in more convenient and the parking lot better and the AC just right and the seats just cushy because we might lose customers. And so we're competing with the other churches, not over preaching the word, not over evangelism, not over serving the needs of the media, but making you content and satisfied so you don't get unhappy and leave. 
And we've made church about us. We've made church about what I want. Essentially, church is we sit in a seat and we watch people entertain us and then we leave and critique it like we just ate at a restaurant. And then we wonder why we're losing members and churches all across this nation at an unprecedented rate. Self-marketing and Christian celebrities are commonplace and they're seen as normal. Like we see Jesus embraced obscurity and left his throne and gave up his rights, but then we don't even like bat an eye when somebody posts their own quote that's inspirational and then puts their name at the bottom of their website and a picture of their face. It's just normal, of course that. Well, the world is self-promoting, why shouldn't we be? And for most of us, opportunities to serve abound. There's no shortage of places to serve your neighbors and serve your community. Most of you know of ways to do that. However, most Christians know they should serve, but most of us claim to be too busy to meet any of the needs of anyone around us in any form or fashion because we look, for the most part, just like the world. And we're not empathetic. We're not compassionate. A lot of us don't even care. And narcissism has been the spiritual AIDS that has eaten away the American church. And in most churches, this is a very indicting statistic. It's commonly accepted that 80% of people that attend any church in the United States of America will not serve or will never serve. Now, I just want to suggest this to you. That's not Christianity. We can call it what we want to call it. We can call it Christendom. We can call it the American church. We can call it churchianity, whatever you want to call it. My Bible says this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are to have this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Like, do you know what a Roman cross was like? It was outlawed hundreds of years later because it was too excruciating and too inhumane to carry a 75-pound crossbeam upon your back that had been ripped open by a Roman flogging. It was too inhumane to be nailed up stark naked with some of your organs hanging out of the side, being incontinent and going into shock in front of everybody, your mother and your, your neighbors. And he did that for you. He became obedient so that you could be saved, so that you could be served. And then the Bible says if he did that for you, you have the same mind. You have the same outlook. You have the same mindset. But somehow we've gotten it in our thick skulls that that doesn't really apply to us. That's for some missionary far away. For me right here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, at my job and in my neighborhood and in my church, I kind of get an exception out of that because maybe I'm not called to that. Listen to me. You are called to emulate Christ in every area of your life. Amen. And if you're not doing that, then I don't know if you get to wear this title and this, this moniker of Christian. We as the church need to look at what the scriptures say it means to follow Christ, not what culture says. So the mind of Christ is this, he was sacrificial. He willingly left his throne for you and for me. Like, if you want to serve people, guess what? It's going to cost you something. It might cost you your free time. It might cost you your pride. It might be a little inconvenient. It might cause you to get out of your comfort zone. But if he did that for you, we're called to do that for everyone else. 
And he was humble. He was humble. He became a servant. He was fully submissive to the will of the Father. And, and he was obedient. Listen, some of us are like trying to, 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 to be these armchair theologians and kind of learn new things from God. And then, you know, we're kind of like fans of eschatology and end times. And we're asking God to speak to us new things. I just want to suggest to you that maybe if you've not heard from God in a while and you're asking him to, maybe you should be obedient with what's clear and main and plain in the scriptures. If you're obedient with what he's already told you, then he'll tell you more. And so ultimately, we are called above anything else to be obedient. Jesus did not say, if you love me, you'll sing a lot of worship songs. If you love me, put a bumper on your car. If you love me, you'll eat Chick-fil-A. No, he said, if you love me, I love Chick-fil-A, by the way. Amen. To the glory of God and the good of all people. Polynesian sauce, amen. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So ultimately, as the American church, I think where we've gotten wrong is we're not obedient. We obey culture, not Christ. So we've got to come back to the mind of Christ. Okay, that part's over. Are you still with me? Okay. Next part. Skip down to verse 12. When he'd washed their feet, he'd put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Look at this next verse. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus says, now that I, your Lord, Messiah, God of all the universe, sovereign king of the entire universe, have done this, and now that I, your teacher, the guy that's leading you, I've done this, I've washed your feet, so you should also wash another's feet. Now, now what is he saying? Is he saying that, you know, if we're not having foot washing services every, every weekend, we're being disobedient? No, washing feet was figurative and symbolic. And it was figurative and symbolic for what Christian service really looks like. Here, here's the thing, it's not convenient. He didn't say just wash each other's feet if it's convenient, if there's water around and if you can do it without getting nasty. No, it's not convenient. That's the very nature of service. It's not comfortable. It's not safe and it's not even pleasant. On the other hand, it's messy. It takes sacrifice. It takes bravery and it takes a willingness to be inconvenienced and even a willingness to be hurt. I once heard Craig Groeschel, a pastor from Oklahoma, tell a group of pastors, you know the secret for endurance in ministry? He said, a high tolerance for pain. That's not just pastors. That's for anyone in this room that wants to love and serve humanity. The secret for endurance is you've got to develop thicker skin. And you've got to be willing for people to take advantage of you and misunderstand you and maybe say bad things about you. But know that serving them and serving the Lord is way more important than your own pride, which should have been crucified on the cross with Jesus when you came to him in the first place. And Jesus never tells us that we're to serve other people only if we feel called to it. Anybody know this like turn of a phrase in Christianese? Like if we don't want to do something, we can just say, well, brother, I've not been called to that. It's kind of just a trump card that we lay down. Like we made that up. You guys know that, right? We, we can't play the subjective, emotional, God spoke to me and not anybody else that I shouldn't be obedient card. 
It's not all gonna look the same for every person in this room. Of course, Jesus is gonna lead you to serve people in different ways. However, nobody gets a free pass out of this. All followers of Jesus Christ, all followers of Jesus Christ, all followers of Jesus Christ are called to be engaged in a lifelong journey of radically serving and meeting the needs of other people. Even and especially when it's messy. And most of the time it's messy. He said, I've done this to set an example. You should do as I've done for you. See, when we grasp the magnitude of the incarnation, when we grasp the magnitude of the cross, what that actually looked like, what that meant, our natural response to fully seeing it and understanding it is love. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. It's obedience, that if we truly love him, we'll obey his commands. And it's service to Christ because Christ said, if I've done this for you guys, then you're to do it for other people. And if Christ left his throne in heaven and he climbed on a cross for us, there should not be anything in the service of others that you deem or I deem too low for me. If he did that for me, there's nothing that I shouldn't be able to do for you. And he says this, now that you know these things, now, now that you've heard these things, now that you've seen this, you'll be blessed if you do them. It's not enough to simply know you should serve. It's not enough to simply know you should be obedient. You have to do it. I think we do this other weird thing in the American church where we kind of see this as like weird group therapy where we get together, we hear a really convicting message from Corey and we know like there's some things in our life that need to change but we just feel good and beaten up by it and we're like, oh man, that's so convicting and then we leave and we don't do anything. And somehow that's like enough for us to get this kind of cathartic experience. And then we, we essentially turn into a group full of the rich young ruler who heard what Jesus told him to do with his life and it said he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff but he didn't really wanna give that up to follow Jesus. We do that all the time. And we hear what we should do but ultimately we don't do it because here's the thing, you and I are the best manipulators that we know. I am the best manipulator I know. I am capable of feeding myself thousands of reasons for why I can't and why I shouldn't serve others. I got three kids in baseball, my, my, my wife works a lot, I got a really busy schedule, I'm the busiest guy I know, I can't really pay attention to my neighbor, I can't really do these acts of service for my wife, I can't really stop making it all about myself because I work harder than anybody I know and, and I'm kind of given an exemption out of this. Listen, no you're not. Don't listen to your own lies. Because when you do that, you rob others of blessings. And ultimately, you rob yourselves of blessings. And you ignore this command of Jesus. And it's the simple fact that life is better when we make it about others versus making it about ourselves. You know that. You know that angst inside of you is not going to be fixed by another vacation. But yet, year after year, we think somehow that if we make the focus ourselves and our retirement and our plans and, and, and eating at this nice restaurant and buying this next big thing and, and I'm the center of my universe, it's gonna fix what's broken on the inside. No, it won't. But your life will be better when you make Christ at the center of it and when Christ is at the center of it, everyone else gets served. You receive the blessing of God in your life when you serve through a sense of purpose, that your life means something. 
through joy and seeing others' needs met through you being obedient to the Word of God and the felt presence of the Holy Spirit as He flows through us. I meet people all the time that come to me and say, I just want to know more of the Holy Spirit. Okay, if you want to know more of the Holy Spirit, get busy with the mission of the Holy Spirit. If you want the power of God, get with the purpose and program of God. Because God's not going to give you all this power for you just to sit there and feel warm tinglies. If you get obedient to what he called you to do, then he'll equip you and you'll see more of his power and more of his presence. Holy Spirit is not just a force that we pedal in here to get warm fuzzies in an emotional experience. We experience the power and presence of God so we can perform the mission of God. And if you're not busy with the mission and purposes of God, then he's not going to give you more of that. So here's how we don't serve. So we serve following the example of Jesus, but we don't serve others from our own neurotic need for approval or significance. If I serve you so you'll like me, I'll serve you so I can feel like I'm needed. All I'm doing is using you. And I'm not serving you. Romans 12, 9, Paul says this to the Roman church. Let your love be genuine. Another translation says, let it be without hypocrisy. Meaning if you're really serving people, don't do it for yourself. Do it for the Lord. Do it for them. We, we don't advertise our acts of service so we can receive applause. We're not Instagramming ourselves as we're serving Jesus said to the Pharisees in, in, in um, Matthew 6, 3, he said when, when they give, they like blow the trumpet, and this guy's bringing his tithe. And he comes up and, you know, drops his tithe in the plate. Old. He said, when you give, don't be like those guys. Don't, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. But if you're making it about getting others applause and other people to clap for you and say, oh, what a swell guy, man. He loves people and he loves the Lord. Jesus says, you're not going to get anything from me. You've already gotten everything you're going to get because all you were after is their applause. Amen. We see in, in the, the book of, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians, Paul said, all of us stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our works in this life are tested by fire. That all the things we did for other people and all the things we did for Christ will stand before Christ and he'll not just judge what we did, he'll judge why we did it. And if it's self-serving, if it was so we could get this like neurotic need for approval or significance or we could somehow get the applause of people, it says it's like wood, hay, and stubble. And when it goes into the fire, it, it doesn't come out of the fire. But he said only the things that are gold, silver, and precious stones will remain. Gold, silver, and precious stones are underneath the surface of the earth. Those are things God sees that other people might not see. When you serve others, it is not to advertise it to everyone else so you can receive Applause. And lastly, we don't enable self-destructive negative behaviors. Sometimes love says no. Mamas and daddies, you need to hear that. Sometimes love says no. Can I get an amen? amen? Sometimes because we want to feel needed, sometimes because we want to have this neurotic sense of approval, we end up saying yes to people and giving them things that they don't really need. And this enables them to do self-destructive negative things and we're not really loving them or serving them. We're really loving and serving ourselves and causing them to go down a path of destruction. And so we need to identify and work towards serving the real needs of others. That means like if you don't like me but I'm actually giving you something you actually need, I love you enough for you not to like me. And some of us need to know that today. We need to hear that today. Um, I put this verse, 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 6. If you study um, in the New Testament, the feeding program that went to widows, Paul actually writes to his young protege, Timothy. He said that the only people that should be enrolled in that 
are the people that are willing to be enrolled and involved and actively engaged in the life of the church. If they just want to sit around and drink and gossip and you keep feeding them and give them all these things, you're actually not helping them, you're hurting them. And so when we serve, we don't enable self-destructive negative behaviors. Here's the thing, serving others is one of the most Christian things you can do. If you want to look like Jesus, serve. If you want to walk as Jesus walked, serve. And I'm not talking about once a week with a volunteer team. If you do that, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm talking about a lifestyle where we live with our eyes open to the needs of everyone around us. And we say to our families, and we say to our neighbors, and we say to our workplaces, how can I serve you? Because I'm not the center of my universe. Jesus is. And he said, what I do to the least of these, I'm doing it unto him. But that requires sacrifice. It means it's going to cost you something. It might cost you like your free time. It requires hard work. It requires an awareness of others. That means you've got to get your face out of your phone and look at the other person made in the image and likeness of the invisible God right in front of you and love them enough to actually have a conversation with them. When we do that, Jesus says we'll be blessed. And it is the most rewarding activity that you can do on this side of eternity. If you're someone that memorizes scripture, and I hope you are, I encourage you to memorize this, print it out, put it on your bathroom mirror, say it to yourself before you go to work. This is what Paul writes to the Philippian church. He says, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't live with you at the center of your universe. Don't think it's all about you and all about what you want. Don't try to impress others. Don't go into a conversation with the goal that you're going to outsmart that person or you're going to make them think that you're smarter than them or you're cooler than them or you've got prettier kids than they do. Don't try to impress them. But be humble. Be humble. Get your significance and approval from God, not the people around you. And think of others as better than yourselves. Don't think, man, I work harder than everybody else I know. I deserve a little me time at the end of the day. No, think of other people and their work schedules and their lives. We're all working hard. Everybody's got needs. Everybody's got struggles. Don't look out only for your interest, only the things that you want to do, but take an interest in others too. Ask people questions about their lives. Don't constantly talk about yourself and your own agenda, what you want to do and where you're going and what you think. Ask other people what they think. We have to ask ourselves this question as we close today. Am I truly being a servant? And that starts with this. Do I even notice other people's needs? There's a narrative in the Gospel of Luke where a woman comes into a banquet of all these religious leaders and she starts crying on the feet of Jesus and washing his feet and this guy gets really upset and says to Jesus, seriously, like this lady's a whore. You're gonna let her in this group with us? And, and, and I love what Jesus says. He, he looks at him and he says, Simon, do you even see this woman? Do you even see her? Like, do, do you notice that's a human being? Or is it all about your own banquet and you, she just embarrassed you because she like fooled with your, your sense of pride? I think Jesus would ask us today, do you even see the people around you? Do you even see that person at work? Do you even see the person sitting next to you this morning? that may not have had a meaningful conversation with another human being all week, but we want to go pick up our kids and get to the car so we can beat the lunch crowd so we're not actually going to talk to them. And if we see their needs, are we so focused on our own needs that we don't even care about theirs? 
yeah, I see their needs, but man, I got a lot of stuff going on. I don't really care. Am I willing to be inconvenienced so that someone else can be served? Am I willing to give up a comfort or a convenience so another need that someone else has can be met in a very real way? And the question you've got to ask yourself every morning as you wake up is, do I see myself as better or more important than those around me? Husbands, I know you work hard, but so does your wife. You're not the most important person in your house. Some of you men need to repent and go to your wives and say, baby, how can I serve you? I'm sorry for being prideful. I'm sorry for thinking that I'm better than you. How can I serve you? Ladies, that goes for you too. I know you work hard, but so does your husband. You see yourself as better than people around you. Do you see yourself as more important than people around you? And ultimately, are you willing to follow Christ if it means that it's going to cost you your convenience or your comfort? Are we just going to talk about it? Are we just going to sing songs about it? Are we going to, Christ alone, cornerstone, yay, that feels good. But when the rubber meets the road, I don't really want to give anything up because it feels really good to hang on to it. Are you willing to follow him? Because if you're not... Maybe you should ask that question. Has he transformed me from the inside out? Have I truly been born again by his spirit? For those of you who are currently serving and who are doing this well, thank you. Thank you. If the enemy is accusing you right now and saying you're not doing enough, man, if you're following Jesus and looking at him and doing everything you can to be like Jesus and follow Jesus and serve the needs of others, you tell the devil where he can go and you just stay obedient to Jesus and keep running the race. Because if there's other of you in this room and it's not the devil talking to you, it's the Holy Spirit convicting you and saying, hey, there's some areas in your life that I wanna do some business on. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't leave this room today until you do business with God. I love you guys. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Repentance is a gift that God gives us so that no matter how selfish and self-centered you have been, no matter how narcissistic and unempathetic you've been, right now in this place this morning, God says you can start completely fresh. I can forgive you, I can transform you, I can make you look like me and give you a heart of love for me and the people around you if you would just trust me enough to surrender. So God, all across this room, we surrender to you. All across this room, God, we wanna serve like you serve. All across this room, Lord, we don't wanna make it about us, we wanna make it about you and the people around us. So God, forgive us for being so selfish. and make us look like Jesus. All around this room there's communion. If you've experienced his redemption and his forgiveness and you wanna celebrate with us his body and his blood that was broken, we're invited to take the juice and the crackers that's representative of that. I only ask that you would examine your life and examine your heart. If there's any sin that God's dealing with you, repent of that before you take the Lord's table this morning. That's a gift God's given you. Don't take it lightly. To my left and right, there are people up here that would love to pray for you, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're dealing with. If you're discouraged, if you're tired, 
If you need just to repent and experience this forgiveness this morning, come find one of these guys. They want to serve you in that way. They want to pray for you. Don't leave this place until you've done business with God this morning. Holy Spirit, come, examine our hearts and make us look more like Jesus in all we do and all we say. We say yes to you before you even speak. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.